0: grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came. So my need, I shall. forever christ shall be my hope and longing joy for me he dies So...
1: Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We've been in a series called Born to Die. Born to Die. And in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 7. We're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is being born here. Now, of course, he's born as a babe. But the Bible tells us he arrived as Emmanuel, God with us. So although he was a baby, he still was God. He was all man, all God. And that's a hard thing for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around. But the Bible calls it the mystery of godliness. And therefore, we know it is a mystery, don't we? Not only does he tell us that, but we, from our own experience, trying to somehow sort it all out would have to arrive at the same conclusion. That's a mystery to me. Someone says, explain it. Well, let God do that, but he says it's a mystery, so you'll have to wait till you get to heaven. I'm not that smart, I can guarantee you that. And If you know anybody from Community Baptist Temple, they'll probably reassure you of that. But the fact is is that God says it's a mystery, and so he was born. Notice what it says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. It all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as a wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. We said that the bottom line is is that Jesus Christ was born to die. He was born to die. And we asked some of the questions, how in the world if he knew that a cross loomed in his future, if he was clearly facing death even from the very beginning of his life, if he knew right off the bat, especially when he began his earthly ministry, that a cross was all that was laid between him now and the future, how is it that he could live his life the way he did? How could he live so victoriously? How could he live so above the circumstances? And so over these last couple of weeks, we began to address that. Our first week, we spoke concerning a life of purpose. See, purpose kept the Savior going. His purpose was bigger than himself. Jesus could face every obstacle endure every heartache and even face death because he lived his life with purpose and on purpose. He understood that fulfilling his purpose was worth living for and it was worth dying for. And so we said that it's important that you and I identify and understand what our purpose is and then live toward that end. That we live our life with purpose and on purpose. Not only that, we said just last week alone that he focused. we focused on his passion. His passion or his compassion, if you will, the fact that, that, I mean, that particular characteristic of love in his life, the fact that he loved everyone, that he had compassion on all, we said that that passion of his moved him. It moved him from heaven to earth. It moved him from the manger to the cross. We said that that passion motivated him. It it motivated him to to show love both to his followers and even his foes. We said that that passion made him or defined him. It defined him as deity. Anyone can love someone that loves them, but to love someone that doesn't, that's a whole other issue. No one loves like Jesus. No one loved like he did. And so he said that Jesus could live the way he did, though a cross loomed in his future because he lived with purpose and lived with passion. Well, this morning, we want to note another reason. He lived with promise. He lived with hope. And we want to take just a few moments and consider that. You know, there, I, I've told this story before, but there was a man that approached the Little League baseball team one afternoon. And he looked at a boy in a dugout, and he asked the little boy. He said, "Hey, he said, what's the score of this game?" The little boy in the dugout turned to him. And he said, "Well, Mister, it's eighteen to nothing. We're behind." That fellow turned and said, "Well, uh, I bet you're pretty discouraged, aren't you?" He said, "Well, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet." You know, it's been said there's no hopeless situations. There are only hopeless people. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Let me ask you: Have you know? Do you know this? And and again, let me just express the hopelessness of people in America today. Nationally, the suicide rate increased twenty five point four percent from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand sixteen, with increases occurring in every single state with the exception of Nevada. You would think that, that that's kind of crazy. If you asked me, I mean, all that gambling going out there, you'd think people would be really getting a. Pretty upset about things, but maybe people are winning. I don't know. In 2017, there were an estimated 1.4 million suicide attempts and more than 47,000 deaths by suicide, making it the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. In 2017, this is an amazing statistic. There were more than twice as many deaths by suicide than by homicide. You would think from the news that's all that's happening, wouldn't you? You would think that somehow all that's taking place are are uh, you know homicides, but really, in reality, there there were twice as many suicides that year, two thousand seventeen. The societal cost associated with suicide is estimated at seventy billion dollars. In an article written by. Uh, Julicia Trevino, on November the 29th, 2018, just about a year ago, she points out an alarming trend that's taking place. She states, quote, The suicide rate is the highest it's been in decades, the latest warning signs of a worsening public health issue in America that needs far more attention. She continues by adding, According to a new report by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, she states once again what we just already stated, that 47,000 Americans died by suicide in 2017. She goes on to say the suicide rate is at a 50-year peak, according to the AP. The new data shows that there were 2,000 more deaths from suicide last year than in 2016, the year when suicide became the second leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of 10 and 34, and the fourth leading cause for middle-aged Americans. The increase, she goes on to state, is in part responsible for another drop in life expectancy this year. Americans are now living, on average, she said, and this is 2000, of course, and uh, 18, just over 78 years and six months on average, according to the report. The average life expectancy has dropped each year since 2016. Now, she shares another reason for the drop in life expectancy as well. She says the other reason life expectancy is dropping, quote, she, she, she puts a little uh, colon there and she says, a rise in drug overdoses. There were more than 70,000 drug overdose deaths in 2017, the highest number of drug overdose deaths for any single year in U.S. history. Together, she says, suicide and substance abuse overdoses have caused an uptick in, in mortality. She points out that researchers have explained the decline. Now listen to this, researchers, we're not talking about Christians, researchers have explained the decline in part by an increase in, quote, deaths of despair, unquote, deaths of despair, suicides, alcoholism, and drug overdoses, particularly from opiate uh, opiate, uh, painkillers. But I I think it's important to note here, what is sparking this epidemic? What's causing our, 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 the average uh, mortality rate to drop in America? Well, according to researchers, an increase in death of despair. Deaths of despair. What does that say to you? I don't know what it says to you, but I know what it says to me. It says that people feel more hopeless today than ever. That's what it sounds like to me. Why are so many anxious to close the book on their life? Could it just simply be that they feel they have no hope? The tragedy in our day is that more and more people face life without hope. That's just the truth of it. How could Jesus live each day knowing that death was all he had to look forward to? I mean, how could he face life with a positive outlook? How could he face it with some kind of expectancy? How could he do that? Well, Jesus lived a life of promise or hope. His outlook was not limited to the present circumstances. I've shared this before, too, but I, I really love this uh, story. But a fellow by the name of a millionaire by the name of Eugene Land at one point met with a uh, group of sixth, grade, sixth graders in East Harlem. This is a number of years ago now. But Mr. Lang had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders. He thought to himself, what in the world could I say to these sixth graders that would inspire these students? What could I say that would motivate them and move them and keep them from dropping out of high school? or dropping out of school altogether even before they reach high school. He wondered even, how in the world am I going to get them to pay attention to me? He kind of took his notes and he scrapped them. He just kind of folded them up, put them in just his back pocket, and he, he decided just to shoot from the hip. He told him, he said, you stay in school. You stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. And it was at that very moment, the lives of those sixth graders changed. For the first time, many of them had hope. For the first time, many of them thought, you know what? I can do something with my life. I can make something of myself. I don't have to be bound here. I can do something with my life. One student said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Do you know that nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school? 90%. He said, that's no big deal. It is there. In those days it was. And you know what? Like these young people, Jesus could see past his present situation. Why? How? Because he could see past today by faith. His faith produced a tremendous hope and a promising outlook when his present situation may not have. He lived his life differently than most people did. And I want to share three ways he lived his life differently and how then we too can live our lives differently. Before we do, let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll move along. Father, we thank you for this time together. Bless us. And Lord, I pray that if there be any that are without Christ, that have never trusted, received, and accepted Him, that they would do so before they leave here. It's not enough to live a good life. It's not enough to be a good person. Lord, you know it's not enough to just attend church, read your Bible, pray, or even give. You need a walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. All that other stuff is something that we do as a result of our walk in our relationship with you. Help people to realize and recognize that they need you in their life, first and foremost. And Lord, may you just bless our time together. May we be inspired and encouraged, Father, to be better for you. we we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, all, how in the world could Jesus live his life so differently? How could he live with hope, even though a a cross loomed in his near future? First of all, he lived with courage. He lived with courage. See, before Jesus began his public ministry, he was baptized. Take your Bible, look over at Matthew chapter 3, would you? Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The Lord Jesus Christ was baptized prior to beginning what we call his public ministry. Before he started doing all those miracles that we read about in the New Testament, Jesus Christ was baptized. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me if Jesus Christ was perfect, baptism certainly would not make him more perfect. So he didn't need baptism to make him perfect. He didn't need baptism to cleanse him. He didn't need baptism to do really anything in his life. What he did do, though, is to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized. He did what was right to do. He did what every one of us need to do. Once we put our personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's to be baptized. He is our example. But notice the Bible says in Matthew three sixteen, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You're going to note here in the passage that the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, it says here. The Holy Spirit came upon the Lord. We later read in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible tells us, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now here's my point Jesus Christ is baptized, and the Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove upon him. But then we notice in chapter 4, just not, but just a few. Uh, verses later that the Holy Spirit of God is leading and directing him that the Holy Spirit of God is with him may I say to you that Jesus Christ had great courage and he could face each day with hope because he was not alone he wasn't alone you say yeah but he was God he didn't need anybody or anything he needed the Spirit of God in his life obviously and I know you say well, that, well, wait a second isn't the Spirit of God God yeah You'll explain that to me. Remember, it's a mystery. But these three are one, according to 1 John 5, 7. But let me tell you, they played significant roles individually or as, as a team, if you will, while Jesus Christ was on earth physically. And may I say that he needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, just like you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And may I say today that he is not alone here on earth. And he can face tomorrow. He could face the cross even because he had courage knowing he wasn't alone. May I say there's a lot of people in the world today that are feeling so hopeless. They feel as though there's no future because they feel all alone. There may be hundreds of people around them every day. They may be attending your workplace, your schools. They may be walking the streets through the city, but they feel all alone. Because, and they have no courage to face life. But you don't have to feel that way, neither do I. Jesus didn't. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He didn't have the people of God. He didn't have the Jewish people, his own ethnic background. He didn't have those that that should have supported him and should have been there for him and that had read the Old Testament, that knew what should take place. They even rejected him, and yet still he could face the future. He felt he wasn't alone. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was with him. He faced the world, and he faced life with great courage because he didn't have to face it alone. Not only that, he lived with confidence. He lived with confidence. See, the fact that is that Jesus was born to die. We know that. We've already expressed that. Still, he faced life with a positive outlook. How could he do that? He lived with the confidence that he would live again. He knew that the cross wasn't the end of everything. He understood that that isn't where it all ended. It's only a place where the new life began, so to speak. He understood this. He knew this. Therefore, he had this. He, and he had this great confidence, and he understood. You may place me on a cross. I may allow you to take my life, but the fact is, is that I'm going to live again. And although it may seem grim and it may seem dark right now, although I only have a cross looming in my future, I know what's ahead. Yet I've got confidence that I'll rise and live again. Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34. It says, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him. This one's really popping a lot. Just give me a different one, would you? I don't know about you, but it drives me nuts when I hear the all the time. I can't function and operate, so maybe I. If all else fails, I can use that red one because I know that one works. All right, so anyway, here we go now, okay? Let's try it again. So he goes on to say in the passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 34, And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Boy, Jesus knew what he had to look forward to. Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew without a doubt, but he lived with confidence knowing that he'd live again. Not only that, but he he lived with certainty. Not only did he he live, uh, as we mentioned already, with courage and with confidence, but he lived with certainty. Certain that he would rule one day. Not only would he rise, not only would he live again, but he would rule and reign. He knew that with certainty. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, the Bible tells us. And we're all aware of that. At least we ought to be. And if you're not, I want to remind you, Jesus Christ, did he, he He left heaven. He became poor so you could become rich. He took your place on Calvary to pay for your sin, sin that He never committed. And so we know that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But most folks don't really understand that Although he came to earth to die on our behalf, his death was not the greatest day on the celestial calendar. You know, that often for us as, as believers, we look back and say, Man, the greatest day was when Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. Well, let me tell you something that's not God's greatest day on the cross, on, on, on the Bible. You read through the Word of God, that's not the big pinnacle of his success. That's not where all the best takes place. That's not what's the greatest thing that Jesus ever did, does. It's not the biggest day on God's calendar, I promise you that. Look in Revelation chapter 19, would you? Look at verse 11. I can hardly imagine that, that just that horrible sight of Jesus hanging on that cross. I, 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 I hate to even think about it because it just does something to me. How grotesque it had to have been. And I promise you that that wasn't his greatest moment, nor is it his father's greatest moment. Revelation 19, notice what the Bible says, verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. I wonder who that is. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword and with it sh- And with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. See, the biggest day on God's calendar is not the day that Jesus Christ hung on a cross beaten and bloodied by mankind. The greatest day on God's calendar is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth and gets what rightfully belongs to Him. That's the millennial kingdom where He rules and reigns on the throne of David. That's the day that we seek. That's the day we look forward to. That's where our focus ought to be as believers even to this day. Not backwards, but forward. Forgetting those things which are behind. But we press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I understand we can't forget the price he paid. But, my friend, let me tell you something. If that's all you have to look forward to, you don't have much to look forward to. Because I'm going to tell you everything he did back there, so you have something to look forward to out here. What an amazing day on God's calendar. Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 he says and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Our Lord may have faced unprecedented oppression unwavering opposition and unimaginable obstacles, but he did it with great hope, my friends. He did it with great hope. He was certain all along that no matter what came his way, it would be made right. He knew that no matter what happened and what he had to face, in the end, it's going to be okay. It's going to be alright. The world and the devil may have been permitted to torment and even torture him for now, but He knew one day he'd assume his rightful place as king. He knew it. He was certain of that. So what are we to learn then? we got to move quickly, but like Christ, number one, you and I can face the world and life with courage because we're not alone either. Now, I'm talking about being alone. I'm talking about if you've placed your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You and I are born into this world in our sin, the Bible says. We will live in our sin and we will die in our sin, separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire, according to Revelation 20, 14. But my friend, I want you to know the moment you place your trust in Him, the moment you admit your guilt before a holy, righteous God, the moment you fall humbly before His feet and cry out in mercy and beg Him for His salvation, He hears that cry and He answers that cry and He moves into your life and He takes residency in your heart and your life through the person of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ, that traveled with Christ all those years while he across loomed in his future is the same Holy Spirit that will travel with you no matter what you face every day. I don't care if mom and dad forsake you. It doesn't matter if your wife leaves you or your husband walks out on you. I want you to know you're never alone. You're never alone as long as you have Christ in you. You can face the world with courage. You can face life with courage because you know you're never alone. And that day, John fourteen twenty. at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? What you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That body that you now have is just simply a temple. It's a place where the God of heaven resides and lives. I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is with you in the person of the Holy Ghost. You can have courage as you face this life. You can have courage as you face tragedy. You can face life today because you're not alone. We're so hopeless today because we feel so lonely. We live in a world where we have access to everybody across the world through the internet. And yet we're more alone than we've ever been. And yet I promise you, no matter where you go in life, the moment you sit down, my friend, you might as well just carry another seat because he's sitting beside you because wherever you go, he's with you. It's It's a scary thing to be alone. It can be a very scary thing. I'm not talking about alone in your home. I'm not talking about when you got, you know, you feel safe. I'm talking about if you've ever been in a spot. Maybe, I remember years ago as kids, we used to go into the woods at my grandma's house, and we'd go on these long adventures in the wood. She, uh, they lived on a 63-acre farm, and, and uh, they just rented the place, and they'd been renting it for years. The old house was over 100 years old at the time. I think that was just 10 years ago. But anyway, uh, I was a kid, though, and I still remember walking through those woods with my brothers and my aunt. My aunt was just a, a year older than me and uh, we made our way through there, we'd find places back in the woods, and we'd make castles there, and we'd have a a, a tree stump that we'd make a throne, and, and one of us would sit on the throne and tell the subjects what to do, and all kind of crazy stuff. Prepare me for the pastorate. And so anyway, you believe that? If you If you believe that, I've got some land to sell you too. But anyway... The fact is, is that I still remember going out in those woods. I remember one time in particular, we got going out in the woods and we started kind of, kind of, you know, walking through the woods, finding some new things. Before you know it, we didn't know where we were. Now, I was with my aunt, I was with my brother. I I mean, there was a good, there was four or five of us together that day. And I still remember going through those woods and thinking, we're never going to find our way out of here. It seemed like it started getting darker. Just the moment we realized that we were, you know, lost, it got darker. Seem like it, that's for sure. And so here we are trudging through these woods, looking. Hey, have we gone this way? That looks familiar. Let's go that way. And we go that way, and all of a sudden we realize we're going nowhere. And then we realize we're passing the same places over and over and over again. We're lost. Oh, no, we're lost. You know what? I felt sick to my stomach. You may know what it feels like to be alone, even though there's others around you to be lost in this world, to somehow be going through the motions, but feeling like there's nobody that really cares. I want you to understand there's somebody in heaven that does. You don't have to go through this life alone. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I promise if you'll receive him, he'll accept you. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I'll no wise cast out. Then we see here, like Christ, you and I can face this world and life with confidence, knowing that we too will rise and live again. We can know that same thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8, "We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord." Oh man. You can be confident of that. You can know as a believer the day you close your eyes in death, you'll be in the very presence of God himself. I don't know what you're facing. And maybe what you're facing is causing you to start to feel rather hopeless. But I want you to know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have some promises. And one of those promises is, as bad as it gets in this world, you have a future to look forward to. You can die one day maybe. They can take your life. Maybe cancer will take your life. Something will take your life. We're all going to die sooner or later if he doesn't return. But we have something to look forward to. We can have hope today. Because we know we're not just going to die. We're going to rise and live again. How could Jesus possibly live his life knowing that a cross is all that loomed in his future? I'll tell you. Because he had confidence, he had courage. Confidence that he would die and rise, that he would rise and live again. Courage that he was not alone, but also. Let me give you this one in closing. Like Christ, we too can face this world and life with certainty. Knowing that we too will rule and reign one day. That's exactly right. You're going to rule and reign if you're part of the family of God today. If you're a child of God, you'll rule and reign with Him. Turn if you would to Revelation chapter 1, would you? Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, watch now, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You say, well, that didn't say we're going to reign. Well, we're going to be kings and priests. Watch Revelation 20, verse 14. Go all the way to the end of the book. Watch it now. Watch what happens here. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image had, and neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Remember those horses coming back, those white horses in chapter 19? We're going to rule and reign with him. Remember I told you the other day, we're not just going to be floating around on a cloud somewhere in heaven playing a harp. We've got work to do. With certainty, you can know one thing. You can know you're going to rule and reign with Christ if indeed you're his child today. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. Because you know what, I don't really rule and reign down here. But I tell you what, I'm looking forward to it one day. You may not make a lot of money, and you may not have a lot of things now, but my friend, you have one thing you can count on for sure. Well, a lot of things, really. But one thing we're talking about, you can rest assured, you're going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ if you know him as your Savior. That's hope, I'll tell you that right now. Now, that's big-time hope. So we note here that we can face this life, and we can face this world, no matter what it brings our way, Because we're not alone. We can face this life and we can face this world no matter what it brings because we're going to rise and live again. We can face this life and this world no matter what it brings because with certainty we know we're going to rule and reign forever one day. The director of a medical clinic shared a story of a terminally ill young man who came in for his usual treatment. A new doctor who was on duty that day kind of thought it was his responsibility to spell things out for the young man. and So he somewhat casually and coldly said to him, you know, don't you, that you won't live out the year. I mean, we can debate whether or not he should have told him, but the fact is is that he made the statement and he said it rather casually, he said it rather coldly, just as a matter of factly, you know, you, don't you, you're, you won't live out the year. As the young man left the clinic, he stopped by the director's desk and there he began to weep and he looked at the director and he said, that man took away my hope. He took away my hope. The director said, you know, I guess he did. Maybe it's time to find a new hope, a new one. Commenting on this particular incident, Lewis Schmeeds wrote: Lewis Schmeeds was an author, a writer, a professor for Bible colleges and things like that—a very learned man in the Word of God. He wrote, "Quote: Is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there hope when the situation is hopeless?" That question leads us to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible, it becomes a passion for the promise. Let me say that again. Let me repeat what he said. He said, In the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. Can I tell you that no matter what you face today, if you somehow only seek hope in the present, you'll be discouraged? It's not until you, as a believer, turn your hope to the promise the promise that you'll never be alone. The promise that although you may die, you're going to rise and live again. The promise that you're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ one day. The moment you take your life and you put it in Christ's hands and you recognize the word of God as being the precious promises of God and you say to yourself, I'm going to trust his promises. I'm going to believe in the word of God. I'm not going to look at just my present circumstance. I'm going to look past them to the promises of God. My friend, you'll know what hope is then. And so will I. See, that's why Jesus could live his life with promise and live his life with hope. No matter what he was facing, no matter what looked at him in the face, although death stared him in the eye, and although the devil kind of snickered thinking he would ultimately win, I want you to know Jesus knew all along the precious promises of God, and he wouldn't let himself get caught up in the present to the point where he forgot the promises. May God help you to never forget the promises. May you help me not to. I wonder, are you even a child of God today? We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you've never exercised your faith in Christ, according to the word of God, you're not his child. You're his creation. We've all been created by God. There's no doubt. But to become his child, you have to put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't care how often you go to church, read your Bible, or pray. There needs to be a conscious decision to recognize yourself as the sinner that you are before a holy God and to literally fall before him, begging his mercy and forgiveness. Recognizing and realizing that there's not one thing you could ever do to earn his favor or to gain his heaven. You can only fall humbly before him begging him for the forgiveness that you need. Thankfully he paid for it on Calvary. And you know those promises that he gives say for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder have you placed your personal faith and trust in Christ today? And if you have, I promise you you're not alone. He lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But if you haven't My friend, you're facing life without him. You say, what? Yes, I didn't plan to go here, but let's run here and we'll close with this. Romans chapter 12, I believe it is. I believe it's chapter 12, Romans 12. I I might be wrong here. I think I might be in the wrong book. Let me see here if I'm in the right spot. In my mind, I was looking at it earlier today. This is not the right spot. The Bible tells us that we are without God and without hope in this world, without the Lord Jesus Christ. Has anybody got that verse? Don't everybody yell it out at once. Raise your hand, would you? Does anybody remember where that's at? My mind has gone totally blank. Without, hope, without God and without hope in the world. Where's it at? Anybody? I know I'm putting everybody on the spot. You go blank when that happens, right? Guess what? Be up here standing in front of you. I feel like I'm a first grader. It's my first speech class. Oh, my mind totally blank here. It's such a per- important verse. I wanted to give it to you. It just came to my mind, but I can't remember where it's at. There we go. Ephesians 2:12. Thank you, brother. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 as we close. Do you hear how powerful the Holy Spirit speaks in this church? <laughs> Brought that to my remembrance. <laughs> Notice in chapter tw- 2 of Ephesians beginning in verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. He's just saying the Jews who were people that were circumcised and they were done, they circumcised for the purpose of identifying with God. You Gentiles don't. And at that point, you weren't part of all the good stuff going on. It was all for the Jew. Watch this now. He goes on to say in verse 12 that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having what? No hope and without God in the world. You want hope, you better receive and accept Christ today. He's the only hope. I want to encourage you to do so. Today, I don't know, what are you going through, believer? What are you going through, child of God? Do you find yourself tempted to think there's no hope? Maybe today you need to come to an altar and say, you know what? I'm tired of focusing on my present situation. It's time I start focusing on those precious promises. I get my eyes off of what's taking place today and focus only on that. No, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm also going to get my eyes on tomorrow because I have a lot to look forward to. I have a good reason to be filled with hope. Father, we come to you. We need you. Bless us today in this time together. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The altars are open today. You don't know.